everybody. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Tech Strong Women, where we feature amazing women doing amazing things in tech. I'm Jody Ashley, executive producer here at TechStrong, and I'm here with my co-host, Tracy Reagan, CEO of Deploy Hub and member of a bunch of boards at the Linux Foundation. She's a busy lady. We're happy to have her here. Before I introduce today's guest, I want to give you a quick update about what's happening here at TechStrong TV. Believe it or not, we're talking about 2023, so be sure to mark your calendar for our annual Predict virtual event on January 12th. Speaker submissions are still open to share your predictions for the upcoming virtual event. Um, industry leaders and visionaries will speculate about what the future looks like and lay out a roadmap to success. You can register for all of our events by going to techstrongevents.com and be sure to tune in to techstrong.tv every day for great shows and interviews. Hey, Tracy, what's in your brain today for today's episode? Well, thanks for reminding me about Predict. I have to get my submission in. That's always a fun <laughs> show to do. I love doing it because I have to think about what is going, what is 2023 going to look like? You know, Beverly's going to hound you if you don't get that. I in. know. I know. I will. I've got to think about, you know, I really have to make, I like to really think it through and, and really think where are we going to be in 12 months from now, basically. I know. Um, but we had KubeCon. Just last week, I did not go. It's kind of big for us. Uh, we get lost in the in, in the in the masses um, at KubeCon, but they did have some interesting announcements. And one that is sort of near and dear to my heart is this: the Continuous Delivery Foundation, the CDF, announced a new open source project. Yay! I'm so happy for them to have a new open source project. This one is called Persia. It is um, sponsored initially by JFrog. It was a dream of Stephen Chen. And those of you who know Stephen Chen know um, he's a brilliant technologist, especially around package management and builds and scanning code and looking for uh, uh, nefarious objects that might get stuck into your build. So what Persia is, it's often called a um, decentralized package network. Uh, and that doesn't necessarily, you know, if we're going to talk about marketing today <laughs> and, and terms always matter. When I first learned about Persia, to me, it is a, a consensus build network. So, for example, when you run your build and I'm talking about getting down to the nitty gritty, compiling and linking objects together, you generally do it in one spot. And it's real easy for someone to stick some files in the directory where you're doing the build and the build's just going to consume them, especially if we use star.star, .star, for example. Well, what Percy is going to do is going to say, you're going to build it across multiple locations. So, and you're not, those, those locations aren't predefined and everything has to come back and look exactly alike in order for you to know if your build was uh, clean and, uh, and secure. So Percy is a really interesting step forward in terms of securing the gory details of DevOps, which is the build. And, and like I always say, the build sometimes when, when we talk about the gory details of the build, anytime you have something that you could say it's got gory details, <laughs> it means it's easy to sneak things in because it is always in the details. And oftentimes we don't have time to look at them. So Persia, it's spelled P-Y-R-S-I-A. 
um, it, go to the uh, cd.foundation and check out uh, Persia, their new um, open source project. And if this is an area that you're interested in, I would uh, definitely um, sign up and start becoming a contributor. I believe uh, Oracle is uh, also uh, contributing to it and Deploy Hub has as well. This is, builds have always been our, our, our favorite thing. So when we saw it coming along, we uh, got involved in it. So that is my news for today. And I'm super excited about it. And I hope everybody I'm, I'm tacking on to your news because we just launched a new program for the CD Foundation on TechStrong. And it airs once a month. It's hosted by um, Alan Schimmel and Lori, and I can't remember her last name, also from J. LaRusso. Lori LaRusso from J. Frog. And we just launched it. We've uh, got a couple episodes under our belt. So go to techstrong.tv and check those episodes out. I bet we'll be talking about this in the next month or two as, a, as an episode. Thanks, Trace. All right, so I'm gonna introduce our guest today. She's one of my favorite humans. I've had the actual privilege of, of uh, working for her when she was over here at, at TechStrong Group with us. Um, I wanna introduce Heidi Gilmore. Heidi, tell us about yourself and what you're up to. Hey, Jody. hi, Tracy. So I'm thrilled to be here. And I have to say, I enjoyed working with you too. I did not consider you as working for me. I considered <laughs> us as working together. That's why I love you. But I spent 10 years at CloudBees, really in the early days of CICD, then did my stint at TechStrong, which I loved. And now I'm at a company called StackState, and we're in the observability space, another hot space, and you know, kind of ancillary to CICD. It really is. It's adjacent. So that was kind of cool because a lot of the, what I gained from my time at CloudBees transferred over to observability. We do things a little differently with observability. We're topology-powered observability, a real mouthful. But basically, we auto-discover the IT environment and create a visualization of everything out there. And one of the things that really makes us unique is we are able to track every change made in that environment over time. So when an issue occurs, you can actually time travel back to right before that issue and see the change that impacted your environment. So it helps with fast RCA, reducing MTTR, and so forth. So I've been here almost a year, about 10 months. Well, Heidi, I know when we um, talked about bringing you on and reached out to you initially, you were a little bit hesitant. Um, and I really want to talk about that. Uh, you were hesitant saying, well, you know, I'm not a, I'm a marketing person and, does, and a lot of people don't see marketing as being technical. Now, as somebody uh, who runs a small company and I have to wear a lot of hats, I can tell everybody right now that is a myth. Marketing is extremely technical and it's super hard because you have to take technical concepts and make them easy to understand. Yeah. So why you don't you talk smart. to talk to us a little bit about that initial hesitation? Sure. You are spot on, Tracy. <laughs> and I do think in our industry, because it is so technical, and the people we're trying to appeal to are developers, SREs, you know, team leads, CICD. Um, really techie roles. And their typical view of marketing is that we're fluffy, you know, that we're <laughs> fluffy, uh, inflated messages. 
And I just want to say that anybody in marketing in this industry that's been around the block for more than two years does not market in a fluffy way. And if they do, they won't last. We know we're trying to appeal to techie people. And we know that we have to put out thought leadership and education and assets that will help inform and, you know, provide the knowledge that our audience wants. So, yes, I have placed many more technical people from the companies that I've worked with on podcasts like this or <laughs> other podcasts. And usually marketing is not a focus of the guests that those shows want. But I want to say, again, there are lots of talented technical marketing people out here. And, you know, women have sometimes, you know, they're hesitant uh, to move into a marketing role if they're already technical. They may be getting recruited or pinged for it, and they may feel like that's not the best uh, avenue for them. But I don't believe that is always the case, because what I have experienced is that women are amazing communicators um, and we have particular skills we really do in terms of being able to communicate uh, subjects um, in a really easy way. So I wanted to say if there's a woman out there listening to this and you've been a programmer and you've started having fun with, you know, building somebody's website and you're realizing that you're good at communicating, don't hesitate. Don't hesitate to go into this field because it, it still is technical. I mean, Heidi, could you communicate or do the work you do without without having an understanding of observability, for example, or even your days at CloudBees around CICD? Could you have done it? Not at all. Like you really do need to know what you're talking about. And I remember starting at CloudBees back in 2011. We were 13 people at the time. And we went to Java One in San Francisco about two months after I had joined. I was still learning what CICD was all about. But because we were a small company, half of the people that were there, actually all of the people that were at Java One were in a board meeting at the same time the expo floor was open. So I was the only person in the booth. You can imagine two months into this, having to talk to techie people, but I had already learned enough to know what I knew and what I didn't know. And the most credible thing you can do is if somebody asks a question and you don't know the answer, to say you don't know the answer and you'll find out and you'll get back to them and then do it. So um, it was terrifying initially, but I actually relaxed and just enjoyed the time. And I learned more from the questions that were being asked as well. You know, I want to I want to really uh, emphasize what you just said. It's so important and it's important for every role in IT. If you don't know the answer, just say you don't know and go find it. Mm -hmm. I can't even tell you how many, even at the, at the level that I'm at right now, I'll be on board meetings at the OpenSSF or at CD Foundation, and I'll be like, wait a minute, wait a minute, I have no idea what you guys are talking about. <laughs> Can you do, let's just back up for a minute. So sorry if I have to do this to everybody, but I, I need to understand it in my brain and I'm missing it. Yeah, because totally. this is a broad, vast field. You can't know everything. And I think sometimes we feel like we should have all the answers and it's just not possible. Right. I have it's to do not. that too all the time. 
Because I yeah. produce like eight, nine different things. And they're all different specialties, SRE, observability, mainframe. And I'll just sit there and I'm like, okay, hand raised, explain what you just said, because, you know, I, I it helps me to, to do better. I can't be an expert at everything. I'm not in one specific area, but yeah. And I'm just going to say it. I think women are more likely to raise that hand. We're more likely to stop and say, okay, I don't understand. And then we also take a beating for it. <laughs> sometimes, yeah. but oftentimes not. not it sometimes depends not. on the room. It depends on the room. It's yes. credibility building. It really is. It is. Because yeah. the other person will respect the fact that you didn't try to give them a BS answer, but that you were willing to go find the answer. Yeah. And then you know what? We learn the next time that question comes up, we'll know the answer. So yeah, there's nothing more annoying than going down a rabbit hole someone sends you down because they didn't know the answer and they just made something up. And you're like, okay, well, I'm going to go look at that. And they're like, this has nothing to do with that at all. Then you're never going to go back to that person and ask them a question again. It's super frustrating. The other thing I've loved seeing over the years is, again, 10, 11, 12 years ago now, there were very few women in IT. There still aren't enough today. But in that period of time, I've seen women like Tracy become CEOs of their companies. Um, There are people like Tracy Miranda, incredibly bright woman who helped form the Continuous Delivery Foundation, which, by the way, I was involved in, too, behind the scenes from a marketing standpoint. I wasn't one of the techies moving it forward, but I sure was on the marketing side. But there are so many bright women out there today in real leadership roles, and I love seeing that. In fact, Tracy, you may recall the first time we really had a conversation. We had, I think, met very briefly once or twice before, but it was at the founding of the CDF at Half Moon Bay. You and I just happened to sit down next to each other at lunch and started talking. And we had the most amazing conversation about technology, about venture capital, about startups. (laughs) Like we just covered a lot of ground in that conversation. And I walked away thinking, wow, she does women proud. So thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you so much. Reaching those levels now versus 10, 11, 12 years ago? Well, I think we have younger women starting to become programmers. um, And that is the entry level for our field. And I hope that they keep reaching. Um, We have a lot of work to do to still break that glass ceiling. Um, In technology, we have a lot of work. There are some really amazing women that are coming up through the ranks, but I still don't see them being funded like they should be. Uh, yeah, you know, that that still is very sad to me that we don't get in those higher positions through through funding. We have to kind of wait our turn, so to speak. And uh, that still holds us back. Yeah, we've come a long way, but there's still a long way to go. And maybe we need to do a better job of marketing technology to, to women. I um, think we do. I agree there was with a, that. 
There was a, a I went this has been several years ago. Um, I believe it was Angie Jones uh, who did this presentation and she did a presentation on how the 80s changed the culture around who was interested in computer science. My mother, for example, was a uh, she was a file clerk that got elevated to supervisor of a file clerk at a hospital. When IBM came in to do to figure out how they wanted to build the system, they they basically put her in charge of being an analyst and she got really into computers. But it was women, you know, in the, you, you could go to look at Vogue magazines and you'll see pictures of women sitting by big computers, you know, and they're advertising shoes. But then in the 80s, we had weird science. We had the TRS 80s. And it was pointed out by this amazing um, talk that we don't they didn't market those to, to little girls because um, dads wouldn't spend you know, five or six hundred dollars like on a P back then on a PC for a little girl, but they would for a little boy. Yeah. And this is how the industry started shifting and focusing and marketing technology to little boys and not little girls. So it was it, it's an, it was a very interesting um, thesis, and I have thought about it ever since I saw it because there's so much truth to it, and we still today don't do a good job of marketing technology to women. Yeah, I totally agree. And it's been great to see some of the grassroots organizations spring up to do just that and to really support and encourage women. Like down in Boca, Boca Code absolutely is very supportive of women coming into the industry. And there's girls who code, you know, there's all kinds of organizations now um, to try to be that support mechanism and that that encouraging foundation for women to go into technology. Um, but again, and, and there's commercials work. right now with women, with little girls. Amazon has a commercial with a, a beautiful little girl and she's coding and she's talking to her friend. Um, and they, you know, they it, it's all about uh, this little girl who's writing this awesome software. I think it was uh, maybe it was VMware that had a, uh, a woman talking about, you know, what VMware was doing and, you know, how it was changing the world. But it was women that was in that role. So the more we have women in those roles, even in, in a commercial, it it's just just enough. It, we, it's a cultural shift. And I'm finally starting to see it. Yeah, and that is awesome. But it also can't be tokenism. It can't be putting a woman front and center just to look like you're supportive of females. Um, it's great to see companies actually walk the walk and talk the talk. Well, it goes all the way down. I, I have um, inherited a couple grandchildren when I got remarried and watching them uh, 14 and um, 13 in a week. And watching them in school and just not seeing their teachers encouraging the little girls the way they encourage the little boys. It's still happening mm -hmm. because my, my granddaughter wants to learn to code. She thinks it's cool. And so her her grandpa helps her and, and does it with both the kids. And they both think it's a lot of fun. But we need teachers who are encouraging our our little ones so that they're interested in STEM and they're interested in science and they're interested in all that stuff. It's so yeah, it goes totally. all the way down to the very beginning and we're just still not seeing it get pushed up from the bottom. And that's what frustrates me is as I see it in, in our, you know, middle schools and high schools. It's just, yeah. That's disappointing to hear that teachers today in some cases aren't being more supportive of girls pursuing well, STEM. Then, We've got this whole, you know, environment going on where we don't want to 
we want to make everything equal. So we don't want to push one more than the other. And it's like, but we need to, it's not equal. We need to push our girls. It's okay to do that. We're not leaving the boys out. We're, we're trying to bring them up and make it a level playing field, but there's so much. I always say discrimination got us into this mess. It's discrimination that will get us out. (laughs) You know, it's just the way it has to be. (laughs) Yeah. We've got to switch. Yeah. We've got to switch the scale to the other side. So I have another question for you, Heidi, this has to do, this is one of my kind of my pet peeves about marketing. And I know I'm guilty of it. And that is chasing the shiny new object and then trying to pivot your marketing message around the shiny new object. Mm -hmm. Um, Talk to us, you know, like we were discussing earlier, what's CD? Continuous delivery, continuous deployment, people with release automation tools said it was continuous deployment. (laughs) And, you know, a lot of people thought Jenkins was doing deployments because it was a CD tool. Uh, you can just talk to us a little bit about the, that, the silliness of marketing and how you kind of weed through that and how you, as a marketing professional, keep your message clean. Yeah. And that, I think that is so important. Another related example to the ones you just gave was DevOps. Remember when that term first started being used and all of a sudden you saw advertising all over the place. Hey, get our DevOps tools. It was almost like some vendors were promoting, hey, if you buy our tools, you can flip a light switch and tomorrow you're all of a sudden doing DevOps. <laughs> and those of us in marketing that really understood the industry knew that you don't just do DevOps. DevOps is a very long-term goal initiative, and you're never there. You're always finding new ways as you uncover and solve bottlenecks and automate processes. You're always finding new ways and new processes to automate and to bring into the DevOps process. So I think that's so important to just stay away from the hype and be real about what you do and what you offer. Now, the downside is in that era of DevOps hype, if you didn't market yourself as do DevOps with our tools, um, you could be perceived as being maybe not a DevOps tool. But I think the developers that really understood what they were trying to do and what they were trying to get into also understood you can't just do DevOps. So there is a lot of chasing the shiny new object, chasing the buzzwords of the day. But I think at the end of the day, that is only a temporary bump because sooner or later, people figure out what the reality is. And if you're not talking about the reality, you will be discounted and really lose a lot of credibility. I think a lot of that gets driven by the need to be found in Google. What's what are people looking at? What is the new? So then you have to figure out how to sprinkle your website with the new shiny object. Right now, it's supply chain. Everything is supply chain. DevOps now is becoming supply chain. I mean, you know, I hear people even calling them supply chain pipelines. And, you know, the tools that are managing the CD pipe or auditing the CD pipeline itself are being called supply chain. When I think about supply chain, I think about raw materials going into yes. my binary, right? Mm-hmm. That's how I think about it. So we're, if it's got the word chain in it, we can say, oh, it's workflow, right? Because it's a supply chain now because 
So it, it's, it, it gets completely, it, it seems like madness to me as a small company to try to chase that ball. It does seem like madness, but it, there's a part of us that we have to do it in order to get found in Google, on a Google search. Right. But you try to do it in a credible way. And by the way, I think value stream management is another one of those terms that took on a life of its own and today can be interpreted in a number of ways. But when it, when it comes to DevOps, so for example, we absolutely selling for CloudBees, selling and marketing for CloudBees, we were used by DevOps teams, our software. And so we actually had a page on the CloudBees website. It might still be there today. I'm not sure. Called What is DevOps? And we had a lot of thought leadership and informative, like educational articles about the culture of DevOps. It was not tools. CI and CD are about tools. DevOps was about the culture of bringing development and operations together shared goals with the goal of releasing software, not finger pointing, and just making sure everybody was aligned around the same goals. That message got really lost for a long time in the hype around DevOps. So we tried to keep it real by having a voice in those conversations and also continuing to talk about CI and CD, which people also needed to understand. You know, to your point, Tracy, is CD continuous delivery or continuous deployment? There's a difference, a big difference between the two. So tidbit number two that you gave us today, and that is <laughs> education is important as part of your messaging and your marketing. Um, I have had many people I have spoke to, um, even at, uh, I was out at API World uh, last week and in San Jose, and I always ask people, what do you think about the sessions? You know, are, are you getting the education that, that you want? And many of them said that they're, one of their biggest complaints is that the sessions are too marketing focused. They want to be educated. And then if they can be told about a tool at the end, they're fine about that. But I want first to be educated. Tell me why I have a problem. Tell me what the problem is. Maybe I have a problem I haven't figured out yet. And you talking you know, about the page from DevOps, just to give some thought leadership, is a good example of how education is important as part of our marketing strategy. <laughs> Totally. You are dead in the water if you're not educating and offering something of value. Because just like the comments you heard, people discount marketing fluff. If they go into a session and it's all about a vendor's tool or a vendor's opinion on something, they're going to tune right out and they probably will never attend another session that that vendor puts on. So it is so important to really provide education as you're trying to convey what your product does in support of that learning. Well, and it seems like Everything is changing so quickly. Like you said, you know, continuous delivery, continuous deployment. It's a constant process. What it might mean today, what I, I like, I'll just learn about something. And then six months later, someone will be like, but, and I'll be like, wait, but I thought, and they're like, yeah, but now we're kind of using it in here too. And there too. And I'm like, okay, so now I need to, there's a shift. To, I think people sometimes just get set on one way of explaining it. And it it seems like to me, from my job, it's so evolutionary. Like every time you turn around, it's changing how you're using this tool with some other process, some other thing 
to make it work. So it's, it's got to evolve. And I, sometimes I get confused because it doesn't evolve. <laughs> Jody, you're not the only one. We all do. Uh, I, I mean, literally CI, uh, the, t- the term CD to this day is not clear to, to many people what it actually means. Right. To this day, and we've been doing it for a very, very long time. We had a whole Slack conversation here about it two weeks ago. Like everyone was like, I'm sure. And it was like, well, is it deployment? Is it what? What is it? And there was this whole everybody weighed in. It was pretty funny. I don't think well, I got an answer. I, on the supply chain management topic, I wrote an, a blog when that supply chain term came up that said SCM is the new SCM. <laughs> Because we used to have something called software configuration management, which is SCM. And now we have supply chain management, which is SCM. And they're both doing this. this, In this case, they're pretty much exactly the same. Keep repurposing acronyms. That's not helpful either. (laughs) I I love that, Tracy. (laughs) It's true. It's totally true. It's like, oh boy, we got an SCM and it means the same as SCM, but it's different words to describe it. How useful is that? right yes yes so Heidi walk us through a process um let's say uh deploy hub uh, contracted you to help with messaging what is the process you go through messaging so people kind of minimize the importance of messaging to do messaging right really requires a lot of time buy-in from senior management and precision when it comes to words, because you can't take like a page to describe who you are and what you do. So there's a real process behind it. We did this several times at CloudBees where we did a rebranding, which involved changing our messaging too, you know, to the points we've been making as the industry evolves, your messaging has to occasionally evolve with it. Now, if your messaging is evolving every six months, something's wrong. But every couple of years, you have to kind of look at it with a fresh eye and say, okay, is this still current? So it's you cannot underemphasize the importance of solid messaging. And messaging should be clear. It shouldn't be word salad. Um it's probably a bit of a stretch in our techie industry to say your grandmother should be able to understand. (laughs) But there's something to be said for keeping it simple so that even our brilliant techies can read an about statement and understand what you do. Um, So that is the first step in marketing is to have solid messaging that you're bought in on and actually to pressure test it too with some trusted customers or prospects, even people that you lost sales from to go back and just say, hey, can I have 20 minutes of your time? What do you think about this? And have a discussion with them because messaging also can't be so inward focused that it conveys what you want to convey. It's got to convey to your audience what they what they what you need them to hear, if that makes sense. And then once that messaging is solid, That will ripple out to everything. You should see it reflected in website pages, in collateral, in, um, you know, positioning at trade shows, in trade show booths and other assets. Messaging is really the cornerstone for everything that you do. Very interesting. I think that we... uh... 
oftentimes, especially when you're a startup, uh, messaging is something that you forget about because you're so having fun coding. <laughs> Uh, and then when you do start messaging you message at such a a granular level that you it's hard to bring it up to that higher order yes i know for deploy hub i've struggled and struggled to just try to describe what it is and finally i figured the two words described it's an evidence store i was like that helps that helps a lot we're storing all the supply chain evidence in one place it's an evidence store (laughs) but it took me a while to just kind of keep filtering it and filtering it and say if somebody you know said what is it in three words i can do it in two now (laughs) but it's (laughs) hard it's hard it's very hard very hard and that's why it takes so much time too because you bring together it should be a small focused team with the power to make decisions but everybody comes to that conversation with their sacred cows and so you'll start out with the first draft of messaging you know you try to write a sentence and the sentence is like a paragraph long because everybody wants their little bit in there But the biggest mistake I think many companies make is that deep dive in. We are tech companies. We are in a tech industry. And it's so easy to dive in. But we may understand that. We meaning the people working for the company. But when you look outside of your company, does it make sense to people that have no idea what you do? And that's the real litmus test. It's got to be intuitive. For people to understand quickly and not have to spend a lot of time trying to figure out what you're saying. So I'm hearing two interesting takes on this because Heidi, you've been with pretty big companies other than TechStrong, obviously, over the last decade plus. And Tracy, you're like an island in your small company. So, yeah. you know, it's it's like you have one of you has a lot of resources because they have a team and and maybe over resourced because everybody has an opinion. And then Tracy's on the opposite end of the spectrum where it's like, it's me and, and <laughs> other people, and I'm trying to do all this myself. So it's really it's interesting to listen to how both of your take on it because it's very different, right? And Tracy's like, words, I need words. How do I describe it? And then Heidi's got 5,000 words and she's trying to whittle it down into three sentences. Yeah, those sacred cows, those sacred cows. When you have a lot of sacred cows, it's really hard to figure out which ones you want to sacrifice. Yes, it is. But Tracy's smart because she has taken that shortcut to just a couple words, like she got there <laughs> instead of going through the hours and hours of discussion around sacred cows. Yeah, but I think her brain went through hours and hours. Uh, it did. It did. I would say months. <laughs> months and months. months and years. It's, just, it's interesting. You know, there's a, a big dichotomy between being small and being bigger company wise and what you have to deal with. But in the end, yeah. you're trying to come up with the same thing, right? And I will say at CloudBees, we were really fortunate to work with a fantastic external consultant who really helped us through that process. So that was a big learning, I think, for a lot of our execs. And it also gave a little bit of objectivity because this outside person coming in didn't have any of those sacred cows. They could really help us to see how we would be viewed externally. So that was an interesting process. And Jody, we did the same thing at TechStrong when mm-hmm. TechStrong rebranded from MediaOps to TechStrong. 
So that was also a fun time to be there and to be involved in that project. So I have one last thing before we run out of too much time. You know what, Heidi, I, the people who have worked for you, let me, let me start, start it this way. I have worked for women who have been terrible. <laughs> I have to say that. I've had this I have worked for women who have been terrible at managing other women. Um, it's sad. Uh, and I, th- I think it's something that we just have to work on as, as females, because maybe we haven't had those roles. Uh, so we don't have a lot of mentors. But from my understanding, everybody, male or female, loves working for you. What is your secret sauce? Well, you're way too kind there. But um, (laughs) if there is a secret sauce, I think it's that I really respect what everybody brings to the table. And I have been very fortunate to have really talented people on my teams. Some of them have more knowledge than others, but basically if somebody is willing to to do the job, willing to work at it, you give them the the knowledge and the direction they need, and then you let them run. And if they stumble along the way, you're there to help guide them and coach them. But more often than not, they do run, they rise to the challenge and they run and they have domain knowledge to some level in what they're doing. So it's a real learning and discovery process for them. So I think you just basically you have to trust that everybody wants to do a good job. Everybody works hard at it. And if they don't, then you also have to initially gently coach, and then you may have to get firmer. Fortunately, I have not had to do a lot of that. I have had to do it, but not a lot of it. I have had really great people working for me, working with me, I like to say. There is a, there is a skill, though, in um, being a manager who is really supporting a kind of a fail-fast culture. Because it means that you are really are providing them that kind of support to say, yeah, if this is the direction you think we should go. And in technology, this is extremely important because you have to test things out. And you, if you fail, you want to fail fast and you want to, you want to pivot and, and go the other direction. But I find it's some managers are, can, can be a little, and directors and upper level managers uh, can be a little afraid of that fail fast mentality. Uh, do you have any tips for them to say, you know, it's okay, let, let them, let them try. And, and if they, if it, if fails, you know, that's not what you're supposed to do and move forward. So there are so many great articles written about the importance of failing fast. And I feel like in tech in particular, because it's such a fast moving industry, generally there's widespread acceptance and awareness of that. But if you're running into a manager that thinks you should just keep, you know, stay the course, I think the best way to show them that that's not the case is to show the data. You should always make data-driven decisions. And if you can show that something isn't working, why would anybody in their right mind want to continue to do it? So I think that has to be part of the culture is the ability to A-B test, to fail fast, to continuously try to improve what you're doing. If something is working, well, continue to A-B test because maybe it can work even better. So I don't 
subscribe to the, we should do it that way because that's the way we've always done it. (laughs) There are always new and better ways to do things. And if they're not better, then we drop back or we try something yet again different. That doesn't mean that you're constantly working in an environment of chaos because that is also not good. But it does mean that you approach things thoughtfully with data and you try to make informed decisions and then you try to iterate to improve. And when you do uh, that, that process, what I, what I have learned over the course of my career is that a failure isn't, it's, a, it's the wrong term. It's a data point that you realize, okay, you've collected enough data to know that that's not the direction you should be going. And there's right. success in that. <laughs> I totally agree. That was going through my mind as you were saying that. A failure is success in that instance. It's only a failure if you keep doing it and you don't realize it's not working. That's a failure. Right. Right. And we've all done that too. <laughs> yep. We've all done that plenty of times. That's why when you know to fail fast and you've figured it out that you're just, it's not working, it is a success. And that's what I try to tell my team. It's okay. We went down this road. We, we've, we've learned and now we know where to pivot. And eventually we're going to find our way through the maze because that's kind of how it happens. Exactly right. Exactly right. Well, what a great way to wrap up our conversation today. Heidi, it's been so great having spending some time with you. I miss your face, um, getting to talk to you on a regular basis. Um, but we really appreciate you uh, jumping on and stepping out of your comfort zone to, to be part of this conversation. And uh, Tracy and I really appreciate Appreciate you being here. Yeah, Trish? I have learned so much. I have learned so much from this time with you, Heidi. So thank you so very much. And ladies out there, if you're really interested in, you know, touching it, you know, getting in touch with your creative side and you're a good communicator and you're technical, don't be afraid of the marketing track. It's it's not all that bad. <laughs> you still right. have to be technical. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. Well, thank you both for having me on. I've really enjoyed the conversation too. And just good to see both of you again. It's been way too long. Thanks, yes. Heidi. We All right. Thank you. Take All care. right, everyone. Tune in to our next episode. It's coming up to the end of the year, but we're glad you're joining us. And uh, tune in to, to more Tech Strong TV and Tech Strong Women. Thanks for being with us. Thank you.